Since 2007, the Paul Meredith team at CityCan Financial has prided themselves on providing a better mortgage experience than you'll get anywhere else. Paul and his team will guide you through the home financing process with professional quality advice, exceptional service, and mortgage rates tailored to meet your specific needs. Their goal is to treat all of their clients the same way they would if they were doing a mortgage for their own mothers. They want to provide you with a wow experience with your mortgage from industry-leading low rates to giving their clients the rock star treatment. The Paul Meredith team would love to have the opportunity to help you out on your next mortgage and show you why they have over 300 five-star reviews on Google. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Now, here are Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door and Stefania Secha from the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness with today's guest. Stefania, welcome to On The Way Home. How the heck are you? I am as good as always. How are you doing? I'm living the dream here in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, happy to be safe and healthy and happy mm-hmm. to be hosting this podcast with you. Uh, it's, it's so far so good. You've added uh, a real element of class of professionalism <laughs> that was missing <laughs> before. So uh, it is so welcome. Well, it's great to be on here with you. I'm really enjoying it and glad not to have to do it alone. So it's been really great. <laughs> Well, listen, we are, we're going to continue on this streak. We've got a great streak going always with uh, wonderful, insightful um, experts, whether lived experts or experts in the field. Mm-hmm. And today is no different. Uh, today we have Nick Falvo. I've been following Nick's work for a, a long time. Um, often, so at, at Blue Door, when we say, hey, uh, we need funding for X or Y or whatever, they'll say, well, show me the data. How do I know how many, the biggest thing for the longest time in New York region was, well, how many homeless people? Well, um, and Nick, you know, just, you know, shut your ears for this one. But I remember doing a quick calculation. They called it Mike math, where I just took the population of Canada, the estimated number of homeless people, the percentage of youth in New York region. And I came up with this number of 300 youth that experienced, and it became fact. I used, <laughs> I, when I said an estimated number of, and that mm. became, and, but you know what? All that to say, even though that wasn't fact, it gave power to when people could uh, do that. And, and Nick, uh, who's in Calgary now, he's a researcher there. He's got a PhD in public policy. But listen, you know, aside from all that, he knows this um, sector really, really well. Really, really well. He spent ten years um, with frontline agencies in Toronto, um, just learning and and hands-on with it so it's so cool to have that mix Um, and now when I see he's done some of the the best work I I think across the country around the world that lends credibility that lets us take that that data and say here it is here's the proof here's why you've got to do more here's why we've got to change things and uh, he's just put out uh, a new report just recently that we'll talk about today that's incredible and will help us moving forward 
So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me. Nick, you've, you've had a unique journey. I think a lot of people, um, they come into this work, they, they, through academia, they just keep going along and they, they do their research and their PhD and they're moving forward. But you did it a little differently. You spent a lot, a lot of time on the front lines. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey and how you moved into the, the research end of things through your PhD, et cetera? Yeah, I was in uh, Ontario in the mid-1990s and I was finishing a master's degree um, at York University in political science. And my interests had, um, I guess, drifted towards poverty. And uh, I was taking courses that were apparently about poverty, but I didn't think I was learning about poverty. I was, we were reading things that dead people had written. And that, that made sense, you know, 200 years ago at university, it made sense to read books um, and just read books and write about what was in the books. But I wanted to get up there and actually experience what was happening with respect to poverty. So it just so happened, I had a professor uh, named John Saul, whose son, Nick Saul, uh, was in the sector at the time and is still in the sector. He's uh, a huge leader in the uh, food security sector. And I reached out to Nick and uh, he helped me get a frontline position at Dixon Hall working at their shelter. The, uh, I wanted to get more hands-on experience. Uh, the very first shift I worked at, uh, uh, was 4.30 a.m. until 9 a.m. It's a wonderful shift to work. It's great to wake up at 2, 2 a.m. and never know whether to go to bed or not. And so it started there. That, that began 10 years of frontline work in a variety of organizations in Toronto. Um, I, Street Health is the place I was at the longest. That's at the corner of Dundas and Sherbert. And I was a mental health outreach worker there for seven years. And then uh, I drifted back to academia, decided to finally get a PhD and continue uh, the work. I developed a course while I was doing my PhD on affordable housing and homelessness. That was um, a great opportunity to learn some of the basics in the, the major debates in housing and homelessness. And then uh, I've been in Calgary for the past uh, five years now. And did some work with uh, uh, the Calgary Foundation on Homelessness, right? Yeah, so uh, five years ago, uh, the Calgary Homeless Foundation took me on as their director of research and data. And uh, then two years ago, I became a... Um, uh, an independent research consultant, and I'm the, now the president of Nick Falvo Consulting. And I uh, still get to do a lot of work with the Calgary Homeless Foundation and still get lots of frontline exposure to the, the major debates, but I get to uh, get to write about it. Well, as I've said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I've been a, a big fan. You've helped myself and the sector and our clients tremendously with your work, uh, with all sorts of research over the years. But today we want to focus on your most recent work, uh, I believe just released in December. And it's where you talked about the impact of the COVID-19 uh, recession on homelessness in Canada. And you did this for uh, ESDC. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of putting this very important work together? Yeah, last summer, um... Employment and Social Development Canada contacted me. They're, of course, the federal department whose major focus, who, who have homelessness as a major focus. They administer the big Reaching Home program, which is an annual budget of about 200 million. Uh, they came to me and they said, look, Nick, we, we had some research ideas lined up going into COVID. COVID hits, and now we've, uh, we're course correcting and trying to make our research as relevant as possible to the current realities of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And they said, we, we'd love to see you put together um, a report looking at the long-term impact of the current economic crisis 
on uh, future homelessness. And the reason they reached out to me, I think the main reason was that they'd stumbled across a conference paper I wrote about this uh, 10 years ago uh, after the last recession. And I remember writing it uh, very well because uh, my PhD thesis supervisor got angry at me when I wrote it because he said I should have been focusing on my thesis, which is true. I should have been, but I still wanted to write the paper and get to go to a conference and talk about it. And so it's it sort of, we sort of, I sort of resurrected that paper and built on it and developed it with a lot more detail. And so uh, through the summer and early fall, I wrote this uh, report for ESDC uh, looking at what we can expect over the next several years to unfold in terms of future homelessness. Yeah, and um, you know, in your report, you speak about a lag of time before we see the full impact of the recession uh, because of COVID-19 on homelessness. And I'm just wondering if you could explain or expand a little bit more uh, on that concept that you talk about in your, in your research paper. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, the lag effect kind of goes like this. Um, when a household is experiencing financial stress from job loss, um, typically they don't immediately become homeless. And that is largely because most of us, if faced with dire circumstances, would do absolutely anything uh, to avoid becoming absolutely homeless and to avoid showing up on the doorsteps of a homeless shelter or sleeping outside. So first we would um, see what kind of financial benefits there might be available from senior orders of government. We might see if we qualify for EI, uh, the CERB, uh, social assistance. And we would try to rely on some of those as much as possible and, and try to get back in the labor force to maybe take on a, a lower paying job, maybe finding some casual employment. Try, we try to stay, we try to stay put in our, in our housing and we would try to keep paying the bills somehow. We would also uh, rely on friends or family if possible. We would try to ask a relative if we could move into them with them perhaps, if we could move into their basements, if we could sleep on their couch. We might have friends who would allow us to stay, maybe even pay a bit of rent to work out some arrangement. If we're trying to hang on to our existing housing without staying with someone else, we may try to negotiate with the landlord. We may try to see if we can uh, arrange an arrears plan where we, are, we can have up to six or seven months to repay uh, outstanding rent. We might also look to see whether seniors or orders of government are trying to um, prevent evictions. And I know that's a big debate across Canada right now. And so we would try and try to hang on for dear life and to keep a roof over our heads. Uh, and eventually, eventually uh, with some of us, we would end up at a shelter or on the streets, literally. And that leg effect based on past economic um, crises uh, can be between three and five years. So we're now about one year into the economic crisis, roughly. So um, if you don't, if, if cities are saying they're not seeing major increases in homelessness right away, that does not mean they're not happening. It means the lag effect is starting and that it could be another two to four years from now before we see the full impact of the current economic crisis on absolute homelessness. So in many ways, this may be the calm before the storm. And what a, what a terrifying thought that is, you know, and we've at the CEH, we've been sort of looking at COVID-19 as far as our lobbying efforts and coaching, coaching efforts go, um, using COVID-19 as sort of an opportunity to uh, make things happen quickly where normally barriers would appear. We're using this time to kind of clear through them and, and get to solutions. And, and one example was um, 
commandeering hotel rooms for uh, folks to be able to uh, isolate safely who normally wouldn't have that opportunity. So um, as far as this uh, you know, this leg that we're talking about, is is there an opportunity there as well? Like, can it be helpful in terms of preventing and ending homelessness, as, as you say? Very good question. I mean, the bad news is that there's a leg effect, and this is the calm before the storm in many cases for, for, most, for a lot of cities. The good news is that we've got time to plan. We've got time to begin a conversation, to have a conversation and say, look, we know that based on past economic crises, some cities will see a sharp increase in homelessness. Some won't, but some will, and we know that. So we've got time to monitor this, but we've also got time to plan programming. We've got time to actually start to think carefully and have a good discussion at the community level about what kinds of programming and enhanced social supports are needed to prevent that increase in homelessness. There's time, there's time to monitor, there's time to plan, that is good news. And so that is one of the key findings of the report is that the lag effect isn't something we're helpless about. It actually gives us an opportunity, it gives us a window of time to plan yeah, uh, and you kind of touched on this uh, for my next question um, in, in how that impact is going to look or feel differently from city to city. So, and we know that homelessness differs differently from one community to another. So um, will we expect that the recession's impact on homelessness uh, will be the same? Will it mirror that? So will it be different from one community to the next? And, and can you explain or, or, or expand on why that is? Great question. Yeah, uh, the housing market is different in every city in Canada. As uh, my colleague in Calgary, Ron Kneebone says, he says, we don't have one housing market in Canada. We have dozens of housing markets in Canada. What's happening in Toronto and Vancouver is very different than what's happening in other cities, for example. And so uh, the housing markets are different. The income assistance frameworks in different provinces and territories are different. The homeless system planning, activities are very different from one city to the next, as you well know. And uh, migration patterns affect this kind of stuff. Uh, we don't know who's gonna move where over the next few years in search of, 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 of other opportunities. And so because of all these variables, uh, it's hard to predict right now what exactly is gonna happen where. And so what's absolutely key is that senior planners monitor indicators, that they monitor what's happening in their respective cities and in the, in the, the, the different cities of Canada. Uh, we have to monitor what's happening with the unemployment rate in each city. We have to monitor what's happening with social assistance benefit levels. We have to monitor uh, the percentage of uh, people in each city experiencing poverty. We have to watch what's happening to median rent levels. And we have to create, I mean, I, I would love to see dashboards in every city, each city having their own dashboard, watching what's happening and adjusting accordingly. And we have to be mindful too, that we do have a rough idea of some of the subgroups that have been uh, affected most by the economic crisis so far. According to labor market data from StatCan, um, it's young people, women, non-married people, and uh, households uh, or persons without high school accreditation. So we, all, we already know which individual groups have been hit hardest. That's at the aggregate level. We have some information. And although there's a lag on some of the data, we do have enough data that we can start to monitor these things and start to say, hey, this city needs this, this group needs this. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area.
More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we talked about that before with that, that preventative lens. The work started far before the pandemic, but uh, if there was ever a reason to speed it up, it, it's here now. So you've done this amazing work um, and the data is so powerful. Where do we go from here? What are some of the recommendations you're making to the government for a quicker recovery? What do we do with it? Well, first of all, we have to I mean, I think we have to put money into the hands of vulnerable households quickly, and we have to figure out different ways of doing that. And we have models already. Um, there's something that you're both aware of. It's called the Canada Housing Benefit. It was a financial assistance a piece of the National Housing Strategy unveiled in 2017. So that strategy announced the Canada Housing Benefit. It said that there would be this amount of money that specific households would get to help pay the rent. Not a lot of details were announced. And uh, one of the features of the program was uh, the federal government said, look, this is going to take effect April 1st, uh, 2020. But first, there's going to have to be a bilateral agreement with every province and territory where we're going to agree how we're going to share the funding for this initiative. Well, as of um, last summer, I think about half of the provinces in Canada had signed their bilateral agreements. Uh, I think later in 2020, I learned that most had now had then signed, but some hadn't. And the last I heard, I think it was a Jordan Press article about three months ago, two, three months ago, there was a list, but it wasn't of which provinces had signed, but it wasn't a public list. We weren't all allowed to know which provinces and territories had signed and which hadn't. So there's a lack of transparency in terms of which provinces and territories have signed their bilateral agreements. And many uh, communities across Canada see no benefit yet from the Canada Housing Benefit because either their province hasn't, or their province in ter or territory hasn't signed, or they've signed but not begun to roll out the initiative. So the report recommends an enhancement to the Canada Housing Benefit. One way the federal government could enhance it is they could say, look, we suggested 50-50 cost sharing initially for this, and we know some of you are having trouble coming up with 50-50 cost sharing, especially in light of the current fiscal situation. How about if we start, start contributing two-thirds or three-quarters of the benefit? That would make it easier for some provinces and territories to sign bilateral agreements. And how about, uh, how about in, in enhancing it in other ways, too? You, the federal government could just say, even with the province that had uh, agreed to come up with 50-50 cost sharing, the federal government could say, look, this is a good program. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna increase what we spend on it, and we're gonna increase the number of people that can be affected by it. So, an enhancement to the Canada Housing Benefit is one major recommendation of the report. The report also recommends that the Canada Revenue Agencies take a softer approach to recovering um, overpayments, serve overpayments. This has been in the news a lot for a lot of different household groups. There was a lot of confusion about the CERB when it rolled out. There's still a lot of confusion about it. It was rolled out quickly and there were, there were misunderstandings. Uh, in many cases, uh, people receiving social assistance were encouraged by their social assistance worker to go out and apply for the CERB. And then when they reported that they got it, they were cut off social assistance. 
we don't want to be cutting people off social assistance in the middle of an economic crisis. So we want the report recommends that CRA take a softer approach and maybe even to, to recovering the overpayments and to maybe even consider complete amnesties in some cases, but, but in several, many cases, not necessarily requiring full repayments. Um, the report also recommends, and I know Michael's going to like this because he's very passionate about prevention, the report recommends that reaching home develop a new stream. So the big federal funding vehicle for homelessness funding in Canada, reaching home, the report recommends that it, it start a prevention stream where the focus of money under that prevention stream would be getting hands into that, getting money into the hands of people before they become homeless or maybe just after they become homeless to get them right back into housing as quickly as possible. Well, that's so, yeah, helpful. Oh, sorry, Michael, I think you're next. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, it's just point. so interesting. Yeah. I, I think when I, I think of uh, what you were talking about there, so here's quickly, so at, at Blue Door, um, some of our staff were talking about the fact that our clients applied for CERP, right? And they had Ontario Works already, they're on assistance. And she said, they shouldn't, but she said, we've never heard from them again because they're stable and they're housed. They actually have an income level that, that works, which is fantastic. The part of me that when I hear that, I'm like, oh, man, because the last thing we need in the sector is for our clients not to be able to get housing because they have this giant debt to the government. Um, that let's face it, they'll never pay that back. It's like finding the homeless on the streets for, for, for being homeless. That's not going to be paid. It's only going to act as a barrier to them finding housing. Will the same thing happen with CERB? You know? Yeah, and there, there are two pieces here. One is the report recommends that CRA take a soft approach with the repayments and, and even consider outright amnesties in some cases, especially if, it could, if the case could be made that there was genuine confusion on the part of the recipient. But the report also recommends that provincial governments get those pe the people who are the social assistance recipients who are cut off social assistance because of the CERB. The report recommends that social assistance officials reach out to those individuals and say, hey, we know you were cut off. We're concerned about you. Let's have a conversation. Do you need to be reinstated onto social assistance? That would, that could Because that could create a whole other type of homelessness. And I don't think we want, we want government problems. We want government programs to solve and end homelessness, not to cause more homelessness. <laughs> not to create more. Uh, absolutely. Nick, where can people go to uh, read the full report and find out more about your work? They can go to my website, nickfalvo.ca, and uh, they'll see uh, you know 900 word summaries of all my reports, including this one and including uh, a 12 city scan I wrote for the Calgary Homeless Foundation looking at what homelessness system planning has looked like in Canada's major cities during COVID. Well, Nick, thank you so, so much for joining us uh, on the show today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was great having you. Well, Michael, I think this was a, a really uh, great interview for you as well. I think it touched on a lot of the issues that we both care about and are dealing with in our day-to-day -day work. It's both, it's not often that in the same report, you get terrifying and hopeful information at the same time. <laughs> terrifying in the fact that we could be looking at a mass mm -hmm. new influx of people experiencing homelessness in three to five years. But as Dick said, hey, here's the posit positive mm -hmm. part about the lag is we've got time to respond and do something about it. So hopefully we can manage that a little better. Uh, just incredible work. 
Totally. I think it's so important um, when we're, we're doing this work and for this sector is, is to remember that policy has a huge role to play uh, in what we're dealing with. And like you've said, you know, modern mass homelessness, uh, as we know it today, didn't exist, um, you know, just like 30 years ago or, or 40 years ago. It really was, uh, you can like link that right back to policy and, and things that we stopped doing at a national provincial level. So yeah, it was really great uh, to give that research some more a spotlight. Absolutely. Research is power. And really, and this podcast is all about awareness and sharing that information so we can go out as frontline and advocates and make real change happen. Steph, thanks so much. Another great show. Yeah, absolutely. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. A quick reminder to subscribe to the show on any platform you're listening. And if you'd like to find out more about Blue Door, visit bluedoor.ca. To get more information about the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, go to caeh.ca. See you next time. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.